Well, good morning, Lighthouse Community Church. I'm so glad that you are here with us today. And moms, we just want to say thank you for loving us. We celebrate you. And and, um, I think it's pretty safe to say that without you, none of us would be here. I use that joke every year and it never gets old, to me at least. Um, But we have been in the midst of a series uh, that has been helping us walk through our emotions our discouragement, whatever the season has been stirring up, and allowing us to sit with it. And then we realized that Mother's Day was going to land kind of right in the midst of that, and we, we had a conundrum. I mean, do we jump out of it and just have a conversation about celebrating mothers, as we do most years, or do we stay in it? And here's what we realized. We're not the only ones who are walking through grief right now. Our kids are walking through it as well. I can think of Several examples. We have four high school seniors right now. Cameron, Victoria, Caitlin, um, and Claire. Who are looking at a very different year than what they expected for their senior year. We've got two guys who had been signed up to go get their driver's license until the DMV shut down. Tim and Tim. Um, we, every single one of our kids who's in school age right now is having to learn how to have relationships with people separated from their classmates. Their school year looks radically different. And I know for our family, like my mom, is struggling with the distance that's been forced between her and her grandkids. She's, it has been so difficult not to be together in the midst of this. And so there's a lot of loss in this season. There's a lot of emotions that are being stirred up. And, and honestly, moms, we thought the best way to honor you was to lean into a raw, honest conversation about how do we walk with our kids through pain when we ourselves are experiencing pain. And toward that end, I have my friend Annie Curlin here, Dr. Annie. Um, She is a clinical psychologist. She has a private practice where she walks with people through grief and lots of other things. Uh, She's also taught walking people through trauma and grief at a couple of universities here in Southern California. And so she has agreed to take her Mother's Day to join us to have a, an honest conversation about walking with our kids. And, and Annie, I'm so grateful that you're here with us. Glad to be here. Um, <laughs> now, I know that you walk people through grief, but grief is also something that you're pretty familiar with in your own life. Yeah. Would you like to share a little bit of that? Yeah. We, um, I have six kids, and so... Um, We've been through all kinds of family trials. Um, I'd, say, I'd say the first, uh, if you look at my timeline, there was no grief or loss for a long, long time. And then all of a sudden the mother load hit. Mm. Uh, maybe because I'm a pastor's wife is why the floodgates opened up because God's doing a work in us. But um, we had about a year and a half where we lost my husband's brother on the mission field at 28. I lost my parents in the same year, one from Alzheimer's and one from a massive stroke. So one went in April. The cat, the 16-year-old cat went in June, July, and then my dad went in December. Four months later, my mother-in-law went, and then I had a brother go. So it was like yeah. too much, um, and it totally threw me off balance. Um, it was, I was very disoriented. Um, you know, losing a parent is bad enough, even if they're in their 80s and with a long-term illness. But still, it's when it actually happens, it's yeah. it's very disorienting. Um, and and it took a it took a good two years for me to get back on balance. Mm-hmm. And and then, as God would have it, um, when I went and got my doctorate, I started doing some grief recovery work with an organization called Art for Healing. And 
And then I got more balance as a result of that. Um, I went to St. Andrew's Church and did a really good um, training on four tasks of grief from William Warden. That's different than the stages of grief. Um, And I found that to be very helpful versus knowing the stages as as helpful. Um, The tasks are to accept the reality of the loss. Um, When any kind of loss happens where it's a person, um, God has his anesthetizing agent called numbness to, and it, and it's you're very you're very like out of it for a while mm. and so in that case um to accept the reality takes a while mm-hmm. <laughs> you know is going into therapy right away doesn't help the biggest thing that helps is having people keep talking over 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 and over again like four months of talking over and over and over again mm-hmm. what happened until the brain really gets it um and then the next task is to experience the pain of loss. The pain, we have a pain avoidant culture here. Yeah. Um, we don't want to walk through the pain. We want to stay in a comfort zone, but that keeps us from the opportunities that happen when we walk through the pain. Um, having God with us to walk through the pain is what is a magnificent phenomena that people that don't know the Lord are missing out on. And so those people are having a really difficult time going through the pain. But every time you go through the pain with the Lord or with good friends through you, by your side and get to the other side of it, then all kinds of possibilities open up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third task is to adjust to the new environment without that person. Um, even re-identifying yourself. I'm not married. I'm single. Or I'm, I'm not a spouse. I'm not a wife. I'm a widow mm-hmm. or widower. Mm-hmm. I'm... You know, and when both of my parents went the same year, I had this experience of, wait a minute, I feel like an orphan. Even though I was in my 40s, it was like, there's no parents here. Um, I can't pick up the call, the phone and ask a wisdom question of, of an elder person. Um, and then the last one is to reinvest in our new reality. So once we turn the ship off of ourselves and start giving out to others is when true healing comes and the balance comes back. So um, I really like the four tasks of grief um, model to, to go through and just to see how that plays out. Um, in my case, because I had so many come, come at once and the sudden ones are, are the rough ones, um, the balance is a little bit different. But that's kind of my story. It got me into doing grief work yeah. for running grief groups for seven years at a local church, and I came up with an abstract way to do grief without um, painting out the emotions because if we stick them in our body, then (laughs) there's all kind of havoc that happens that needs to come out. Yeah, the first time I met you was when you were leading um, art recovery, working through the emotions through artwork, which was really beautiful. And in fact, I walked with somebody who gave me one of the paintings that he had used just as a thank you. But he said that that was really healing to be able to just kind of work through his emotions uh, with artwork. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I find really fascinating is that as you were walking through that really painful season of your life, that year and a half where you lost so many people that were dear to you, you were actually in the middle of working on your first dissertation, yep. your, your doctoral dissertation, and that was, what was the subject matter? It was on grief and how color um, affects the brain and lets the emotions flow. Mm. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> so now we're, we're talking to moms and dads, but really today's Mother's Day. So the focus that we want to take is how do we walk with our kids 
through the discomfort when we ourselves are experiencing so much discomfort. Uh, And so I'd love to start our conversation today with a quote from a woman that I ran across this week. And she said this, my family is broken. My little boy is in so much pain. And every day I look at him and I think, I had one job. My one job was to protect him from pain. And I couldn't do it. And I feel like such a failure. What would you say to that mother and and parents who feel like they've failed their kids because of the pain that their kids are walking through right now? Um, The biggest thing is that it's not our job to protect them from pain. Um, Adam and Eve ate the apple and all of a sudden pain showed up. So what the enemy wants for bad, the Lord uses for good. And pain is um, part of life. It's not going away. There's different levels of pain. Um, my line of work will go on a s- scale of one to ten. How bad is the pain? You know, doctors will say this too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how can we go through the pain? Um, we want to be in a zone of comfort and stay in a zone of comfort and not go through the pain. But to go through the pain gets us to healing and, and open up opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, so first, uh, first and foremost, I would say examine your own beliefs about pain. Um, what do you think pain is? Um, are you a pain avoidant person? Um, the biggest enemy is the fear of pain. So God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Um, if we take the fear part out of pain and realize this is actually something that's uh, going to be in our lives and how do we walk through it, um, the fear part kind of brings it down a lot more. So, um, so if you accept the fact that pain is a part of our life, yeah. then it becomes easier to face it as opposed to trying to get rid of it and just exhausting ourselves trying to shield our kids from it. Right. Okay. So pain avoidance will keep you stuck. Um, what we, what we need to do is learn to have the courage to walk through it and to develop a tolerance. So every time we, and it's great to grab a person or to really zone in that the Lord is always with us when we're walking through pain, to be woke, <laughs> that's a big mm-hmm. term right now, mm-hmm. be aware that God is with us in the pain. Many times he's carrying us. You've yeah. seen those, um, Jesus is carrying us the on the footprints in the sand. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, if you really get in tune that he's with, with us, mm-hmm. um, that's a big, big bonus. Um, think of it a doula, you know, when you're, she's with a, a, a woman going through pain. I had six kids. I had them all at home. I was not using any anesthetic. I learned how to breathe through the pain, to know when to expect it, to gear up for when those whatever contractions were coming. Mm-hmm. And, it, and by the sixth kid, you know, I had it down. Mm-hmm. So there's something about going through different painful events, learning how to increase your frustration tolerance about it, and go into courage, get people around you if you need it. If you have prayer warrior friends, let them know we need some backup. Um, Holy Spirit, I need you right now. What are you up to, Lord? Hey, there's some angels I can call on. There's warrior angels that can go on my behalf. There's power against the enemy that we can call into place. We can stop what he's, the assignments he's trying to do to us because greater is he than in, in us than he's who's in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole other perspective of pain. Um, 
I'll say like at work, you might have the most difficult person that keeps coming at you, coming at you, coming at you, and just causing distress and pain in your life. And I usually tell my clients, well, I want you to picture this person with a big bow around them that they're a gift from God coming into your life to start rubbing that iron against iron to get you to start tolerating people who have this painful energy coming at you. And then look at them at a little pig pen with the whirling dervish thing going on. Put it in a cartoon form and then realize there's probably something in their life that has been traumatic that they're trying to project onto you. And if you can look at them as a little cartoon, then you're not getting so triggered. Um, mm-hmm. And then every time we can turn that off in us, our reactivity, and be for them, lots of times it calms the whole scenario down. Mm-hmm. So pain is a gift. Um, I'm a diabetic, and I have a splinter in my finger right now, <laughs> and I'm waiting for it to try to get out. But if I just neglected it and didn't have the pain, it could get so bad I might have to get my hand amputated. Or just continue to take painkillers so you don't have to pay attention to it. Right. It doesn't deal with the, the pain itself. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So pain is critical in childbirth. It's yeah. critical in diabetes. It's critical in if we don't, people you've met maybe that don't have pain, there's uh, negative consequences if we don't have pain. I vividly remember a conversation I had with a friend. This was before I had kids myself, but he just had his firstborn. Um, and he was holding his son and looking at him and just kind of thanking God for his little boy. And I remember he said, God, I, I want my son to be courageous. I want yeah. my son to be kind. I want my son to be patient. I want him to be a, a leader that can empathize with other people. And as he was sitting there just thanking God for this little baby boy, he really felt like God laid on his heart, you know I'm going to have to hurt him, don't you? <laughs> and he told me in that moment when, when he felt like God laid that on his heart, he almost like turned and tried to shield okay. his boy from God. Yeah, nope. Open up. <laughs> and, 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 and as he was sitting there, God reminded him, how is, you know, compassion created? How is patience created? How is the ability to walk through fire created? It's created by walking through fire. And pain is what ultimately tempers us in such a way that we can do it. And I and my wife, who are raising two boys, we've got an 11-year-old and we've got an 8-year-old. We love our boys. And there's this part of me that wants to protect them from pain, wants to shield them, wants to put my body in front of them when hard stuff comes up, whether it's interpersonal stuff with their friends, friction between themselves, or, or even hard stuff that, that's going on in the world. And even just this week, I was thinking about how can I be the kind of parent, how can Kat and I be the kind of parents who allow our sons to walk through pain and to do so with them so that they can learn? Because at some point, they're going to have to experience life without us hovering right next to them. As much as I want to be one of those lawnmower parents that just knocks down everything in front of them, that's not raising resilient men who have the ability to walk with other people through their pain. The only way I can see raising those kind of boys is allowing them to experience the messiness of relationships and being with them in the midst of it, almost pointing them back towards their pain and saying, you've got this. You can do this. Don't be afraid of it. I'm with you. Kind of, isn't that what God yeah. does with us in the midst yeah. of the storm? Say, I'm with you. You're okay. We will get through this. Uh, we experienced that this week with the, the killing of that young 25-year-old black man in, in Georgia. Um, and Ahmad 
when I watched the video of that, my heart broke. And my first impulse was to want to shield my sons from that. And then I realized, you know what? This is something that is... is white boys growing into white men, they don't experience this. Mm-mm. But I want them to have the compassion for those who do. And for many other people who are walking through other painful things, how, how can we help them grow in this? And so what we did is, Kat and I sat down with our boys this week. We've never done this before, but this is probably going to be a new rhythm for us. We sat down with our boys and we explained what happened and we began to process through it. We told them what happened, as ugly as it was, We even offered to let them watch the video of it if they so choose. One of my sons chose to watch it. The other did not. And then we processed their questions. Kathy was way better at some of the ugly questions that came out that I was kind of like, oh, you don't want to. Kathy was way better at giving space. But both of us are learning to just leave space for our sons to be in process and to be with them in it. Because at the end of the day, I want to raise strong, capable compassionate men. And the only way to do that is to allow them to work through their own pain. Nice. Um, I think of Proverbs 22. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22. And I'm going to look at verse 6. It says this. Start children off in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not turn from it. I'll read that again. I know some of you are still turning there. Start children off in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not turn from it. Now, typically when I read that, I read that to be along the lines of theological matters, right? If you, if you train your children to respect God, to fear him in that, that healthy sort of reverential respect that says, you're God, I'm not, I'm going to orient my life around you, then when they become older they're going to hold on to their faith. But this has so much more, this is so much more than that. Yes, that's true. And I hear it saying to us that if you train your children up in how to view the brokenness of this world, that they were going, they're going to be walking through the rest of their lives until Jesus comes or he calls them home. Then when they are older, they will be able to continue to face their problems, face the brokenness of this world, face the fires without running from it. Um, What are some of the misconceptions that parents bring into this whole conversation about pain and and about training their kids up? Yeah, I say um, in my, my parents' generation, some of the misconceptions of that generation was to hide or bury the emotions. Um, I'm from the South, so we don't show the emotions in the Mm. South. Everything's fine. Um, So plaster on a smile. Everything's good. Yeah, everything's good. Um, But when you look at it, God gave us these amazing eye valves to uh, bring out tears and emotions. We're designed to let them flow. Mm. Um, Every time uh, something happens and we hold it in, push it down, it goes somewhere. I mean, there's actually science that shows that different emotions go to different parts of the body, and if they don't get released, then there's a vulnerability and sickness comes to those parts. Mm. And there's, it's an amazing phenomena um, to watch. Um, so we can actually get sick if we bury our grief and our pain and don't allow ourselves to work through right. it. Okay. Yeah, and I, that's one of the things I do in my work. Um, but think about Jesus wept, you know, <laughs> 
he he let the valves out. Yeah. You know, whether you need to weep with someone or by yourself, the, I'm saying get the emotions out. Uh, whether you need to punch a pillow or dance it out or paint it out or whatever you can do, talk it out, journal it out. Um, you want to get it out. Breathe it out. Lots of times I'll say, um, something just happened. Okay, walk me through what happened. And then you got triggered, irritated. Can you feel in your body where, where it went? And nine times out of ten, my client will, yes, it's right here in my stomach. I mm. said, okay. Sometimes we'll do some breath work. Close your eyes. Imagine your breath is a big vacuum cleaner. You're going to take a big, deep breath. You're going to grab that emotion out from that, your belly and breathe it out and let it go. You know, if you're taking a hot bath at night, I say wash off all the negative things that happen during the day and let it go down the drain. Yeah. You know, just if it's a little visualization, but, I mean, breath work has shown to really get a lot of things out. Hmm. Um, hey, Annie. Can you pull your mic back around there so that yeah. people can hear you? Um, so one of the things that I'm, I'm recognizing with my sons, they're young boys. They've got a lot of energy. And in this season, more than any season, they don't have a, an outlet for that because they're cooped up in our house. Could that have a negative impact on even the way that they're experiencing this? Yep, because they're not, they're not moving it out. Okay. So, so what would you recommend to parents who are walking with their kids and noticing that they're starting to act out more and more and more. Yeah. If, if their prayer, prayers, prayer, journaling, dance, exercising, um, there's, I know TikTok people like or don't like it, but there's choreography out there. You can do choreography and actually, I used to do interpretive dance in our church. Okay. Interpret, inter, do, it's a fun thing to do, but actually act out with your body what's happening and get that energy out is the name of the game. Okay. So we're going to get pastor Jeff to start the interpretive <laughs> dance ministry. Yes. So Jeff, you're, you're get ready for that. <laughs> All right. Um, and, and so what I'm hearing you say is if they have that energy in there, it's got to get out. So right. even cr- finding space, giving them an opportunity to do something, whether it be play therapy with young kids and, and, and toys that help them work through their stuff or for my kids, uh, going for a run or hitting a punching bag or punching a pillow, something as those emotions that are there. Because if they don't get out, what what ramifications could that have on them? It causes havoc. <laughs> it's like the the cork in the bottle and you're shaking and all that carbonation is getting ready to explode. So yeah. it's going to come out. I know um, in my own life when I have that kind of pent up stuff, it's almost like uh, a volcano that, you know, think Vesuvius that just starts kind of the pressure builds and builds until all of a sudden it's got to go somewhere and it explodes and the the shrapnel and the ways that it affects everybody around me and I see that in my my own sons who have a lot of me in them just the way that when we don't have an outlet for it it goes everywhere yeah so what's key is to catch them uh starting to, I go, it usually hits the solar plexus and it's going to go up. Okay. So teach them to be aware of their body of, wait a minute, I'm starting to get triggered. Um, and sometimes even if you video uh, uh, what I call dust up and then show them again or talk about, if I did a movie camera of this time in your life when mm-hmm. you got frustrated and you blew up and we were watching a movie about that, what would you say about that character who's acting that way? Okay. What's going on? Um, so you're saying kind of almost help them view it from an outside perspective. Yeah, we call that observer self. Hmm. And sometimes if, and I'm trying to think in the Bible, there's, a, there's that story about um, 
and I always talk about this, I never remember it, but he's talking about uh, a situation where, you know, someone did something, he said, you know, they did something with the lamb, and then, you know, and then at the end, they go, that was actually you. Yes. But if you tell a detached story, then they get it better, and then when you connect it to how they're behaving, then the aha moment happens. Mm -hmm. But if we can teach them to catch themselves before it explodes, Mm -hmm. and then do what? With my couples, I'll say, um, drop and do, do 10 ja- jumping jacks and start singing like, um, happy birthday. Your brain actually switches to another neural network and it calms that escalated part down. So we want the prefrontal cortex to be in full action when we're going to have a conversation, but we have to be in our adult selves. And once we get hooked and go into explosive state, you have 20% reasoning. So guess what? You're not going to win any argument. So we want to go to our side. So you're saying that if, they are, if my kids who already have developing frontal lobes and they're only a percentage of what they'll have as adults and they only have 20% of it when they're triggered, it's important to give them the space yep. to kind of – and by the way, that's uh, the prophet Nathan coming and talking to David. There you go. About the, there it is, you yeah. Know, you've, you've stolen this person's – whatever. And yeah. so even stories that are outside of themselves yep. that help them see it from a different perspective, um, that, that's really helpful. So one of the things you said earlier that I want to circle back to is this idea that we can't help our kids avoid the pain. We have to help them go through it. Can you talk to me a little bit more about how we can do that with them, to walk through their pain? Um, or even just what you mean by, what does it mean to, to walk through our pain? Yeah, so... I'd say the biggest thing, especially with kids, is anytime you can catch them walking through it in a healthy way, or anytime you can see someone, say, at a picnic getting into uh, negative discourse and then they calm down. Sometimes I'll say, watch the Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks movies. Um, what does, maybe it's not modeled to them, what does that look like? Uh, Meg Ryan will get upset. And she'll get starting to explode, and then all of a sudden she'll shake her head like she's shaking it off, and then she'll go like, oh, why am I being this way? Mm. I really want to be this way. What she's doing is she got triggered, which is almost like an earlier state, yeah. and then she's shaking it off like, I want to be an adult. I want to talk this through an adult way. There's not escalation of voice. There's not cuss words coming out. She's calming down and talking, I say, as if a police officer is right there. If you have a police officer standing with you and your wife or two kids, are they going to be screaming, shouting, punching? No. Mm, probably different, yeah. Right. So I'm like, bring in the fake police officer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now let's have a conversation. Okay. You know? So pa- part of it is um, exercising that. Mm-hmm. The other thing is if you as a parent um, have issues with this, that you have to get in the gymnasium of life and you need to learn how to calm down because their mirror neurons mm-hmm. are seeing what you do and they're mimicking you. Yeah. So you need to switch and be a different way when you're having discussions. I will tell you, probably one of the, the hardest parts of parenthood right now is when I begin to see things that I've modeled for my sons coming out of their mouth or, or actions that I've done. It breaks my heart. Um, and so what I'm hearing you say is if I want them to grow into healthy men, it needs to start with me, mm-hmm. that I need to look at myself both how I view pain and, and am I willing to face pain or do I try to run from it? Do I try to just anesthetize myself from it? But also when I stumble, when I mess up and I, pastor is just going to confess to you, I stumble all the time. 
Don't have this together at all. (laughs) When I mess up in front of my kids, modeling for them, apologizing, Mm -hmm. right? So that that willingness to own my own stuff of I'm sorry that I did that. And and doing so once or or even giving myself a timeout. I know that I've had to do that a number of times when I feel when I feel the pressure inside getting so great that I need to go for a run or I need to go punch the punching bag or I just need half an hour to decompress modeling that for my sons and then re-engaging mm-hmm. and owning my stuff rather than demanding they just own their stuff is right. one of the best ways that I know of to help train them in the way they should go. Yeah, we call that go again. So you rewind, rewind the camera and then you go to them and say, own your part of the equation in the background uh, of the breakdown. And wow, the way I just was with you mm-hmm. was not okay. You know, say what you did that was hurtful. Because when they see that you actually noticed what you did and it really did hurt them, then that makes them realize that you're authentically coming to them. You know, um, sometimes they, you can do the, I'm so sorry, um, will you forgive me, and then walk away. And mm-hmm. then you're going like, do you even know what you're sorry about? Do you mm-hmm. actually know what you inflicted on me just now? So to be able to voice it, which, co- which create, needs humility to, for you to do that, and pride has to go out the window when you do that, um, the heart opens up mm. and then apologize, ask for forgiveness and go again. And how can, how can we rewind the camera and do this the right way? So that teaches them when they do fail and do it the wrong way that they can go again with their friend at school or a teacher yeah. or whatever in life. So it, we need to model it and then they need to see it over and over again and then they'll get it. Yeah. So just really briefly, and this is maybe slightly off topic, but I think it has a lot to do with us raising children in this day and age. Technology has become such a central part of how they experience the world, how they interact with the world right now, how they're interacting with their friends. What effect is technology having on our kids and what ways does it shape the way that we uh, need to think in, in regards to walking them through it. What are the ramifications of technology as a central part of their communication? Well, um, if you think about it, when you're looking at a screen, what senses are involved? You might be able to say touch because you're holding the technology, <laughs> but it's not human touch. There's not temperature with it. There's not, um, I don't know, but, but you with me, when I'm in a prayer circle, I'm holding hands and I'm holding someone who's not my husband. It's like, uh I like holding my husband's hand. Um, so there's familiarity with touch. There's smell. There's um, watching people's micro expressions. There's energy. Um, if I were to put, say, you two men and had you walk up really close to each other, even though you guys are friends, mm-hmm. we have energetic fields in front and behind us that our amygdala will say, run, danger. There's a lion getting ready to bite your neck. Mm. Even if it's a friend that you know. Um, <laughs> And so it's, it's an interesting uh, yeah. little uh, I remember experience. doing this where I, I, I stared into Kathy, my own wife. I stared into her eyes for five minutes straight without breaking eye contact. And it was so exposing and so uncomfortable mm-hmm. that I wanted, every part of me wanted to just turn away and break eye contact. Um, you're right. There's something about us losing this almost sense of looking somebody yeah. else in the eye. When you think about mothers, when we're nursing our babies, it's usually left arm. And so our eyes are going to the left eye. And so when we're looking at left eye, left eye, it goes to the right hemisphere. And that's where the bonding and attachment happens. Mm. 
And so if you're looking at a screen, you're not attaching to the person. You might not even look, be looking at a person. You're getting dopamine bursts and endorphins are going up. And so you're getting rewarded by being with a screen and not a person. So, and you don't, you, you can't do, you know, touch, you can't smell, you can't, you know, say kissing, you're not tasting, you know, so all of those things are turned off. So we're, we're raising a generation that's going to be interesting to see how they can even be with one another. We're already seeing negative yeah. repercussions of that. And, and the, the amount of, of millennials and below that are getting married, my understanding is yeah, that that's, those numbers are plummeting tremendously. Um, so w- then in the midst of that, although technology is a part, I mean, they can't, my boys wouldn't even be able to do school right now right. without their technology but having technology be the central way that they go through life. What are some ways that right now with our kids in the house that we can be present with our kids and help walk with them and interact with them that doesn't kind of depend on technology? Well, you're talking to a person who for the first 12 years of our marriage, we had no TV. <laughs> right now my kids are like, Mom, shut off this video stream no right now. Don't talk to her. at all. <laughs> so what happened was... They dressed each other up like Indians. They built teepees outside. They were playing with each other, obviously. They were, you know, making forts. They were, I was making forts as a kid, um, and we did have a TV. Um, They're using music. They're using other things. Their other senses are getting developed and heightened. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and this generation, I know a lot of moms are working, and they've got babysitters, and they're using technology mm-hmm. to entertain their children. Sure. I need breaks. Honestly, quite yeah. honestly, there are times where I am grateful for the technology because I myself need a space. And then, and ironically, not ironically, I go and grab my phone because that becomes the place where I can find comfort. That's where all my books are right now, yeah. which is how I soothe myself. Um, so we all need it in some way. And it's not that technology has to be gone completely. No. But what I'm hearing you say is that in this season, in this current uh, social environment where it's so tech heavy we are losing interaction we're losing the ability to look people in the eye to interact to work through the messiness of life another thing i'm seeing is that because of the separation that technology gives it's easier for friends to be really unkind to friends on social media or on when they're playing games and stuff they're so much harsher than they would be yeah. if they were looking one another they're in the eye. They're not seeing the reaction of their, the impact ha- that's yeah. ha- they're having on people. Yeah. So they're not, they're not stopping themselves. And then there's the suicide rates are going up because of it. Yeah. A lot of bullying and harsh, harsh things happening on the Internet. It's yeah. like the enemy just created a format that he can just really play a lot yeah. of havoc. So circling back to moms for a second. This week I was, I think one of the expectations that a lot of moms, including my own wife, carried into motherhood is that this is going to be sweet and wonderful (laughs) and life-giving. And it is to a point, and then it's painful as well. But one of the things is I started looking at the moms throughout Scripture. I mean, you've got Eve, the very first mother that we have recorded, and she had to watch one son be so angry at his younger brother that he ends up taking his life. I can't imagine a mother walking through that with her children. Uh, You have Mary, the mother of Jesus, you who is highly favored amongst all women, who has to watch her son be beaten, ridiculed, 
drag a heavy cross through the public streets and has to stand there as her son is being crucified. And all she can do as a mom, she can't shield her boy from it. All she can do is stand there and lend her strength simply by being present. And and then there's the lesser known ones. Um, One of them in particular was found in in 1 Kings chapter 7. You've got this widow from the city of Zarephath that um, Elijah comes into this town. And here's this woman. It's in the middle of a famine. And she's out collecting sticks. And as Elijah's interacting, the story comes out that she recognizes that they are out of food. She has just enough flour and oil to make one more loaf of bread so that she and her young son can have one more meal and then they're going to starve to death. And on the outside, this mom has it all together. But on the inside, she is dealing with deep, deep Mm -hmm. grief of the brokenness of the world she finds herself in. And thankfully... God kind of intercedes through Elijah and, and he miraculously provides enough food for her and for her son. And there's other things that happen. And again, that's in 1 Kings uh, 17, 7 through 24 is the story there if you want to take a look at it. But here's my question. As we've carried the expectation that it's going to be comfortable and wonderful and life-giving into motherhood or parenthood, uh, that's set up some unrealistic expectations that I think a lot of us, you know, find ourselves butting into, and it brings up a lot of shame. Uh, There's elements of what we post on social media is very different from what we experience in the kind of sanctity of our home. Um, And we wonder if we're alone in that. But this world is a broken place. Sin has warped it in such a way that although it's good, And although we are created to do life with one another, life is painful in this broken world. And we as parents, and mothers in particular, who are very nurturing in nature, have been entrusted with the care of little hearts as they are being formed into bigger hearts. So let's just talk about how we as parents, but I want to speak to the mothers in particular. How can mothers walk with little ones through painful seasons when they themselves are working through their own pain? I'd say the first thing is the mother's perspective. Um, my grandmother was, had five children and during the Depression, and in the middle of Iowa, her husband died of a brain aneurysm when the oldest was 13, so my dad was 11. So being a mother of six kids, anytime that I started getting into the, this is rough raising six kids, I can't do it anymore, this is too much, I would think of her. Mm. And I'm like, at least I have a husband with me. Okay. At least it's not the depression. She, he was in that city of Washington, Iowa, he was the undertaker, the pharmacist, he started the YMCA and he had a furniture store. She had closed all those businesses up. And she moved them over to Iowa City to make sure all five of those kids got through college. Mm-hmm. And that's before women were really in college. Mm-hmm. So that's like the 30s and 40s. So I'm going like, okay, so part of it is perspective. How hard is my day really compared to my grandma? Okay. You know, so that got me through a lot of things. You know, put on your big girl pants. Let's go do this day. I know you're exhausted. I know you haven't had any sleep. I know, you know, my, my husband was traveling a lot during that time. He was gone for a year and a half um, every week from Monday to Thursday. Mm. So it was kind of like not having that help. Um, we were in a church where we all helped each other. Okay. 
So, so that, leaning on community? Totally. So um, it's like you have to be resourceful to get your resources in action and in place. Yeah. You know, I didn't have any relatives around me. Some of, some of these young moms that have their moms in the same town, I'm like, oh, my gosh, how, mu- yeah. how wonderful that must be. So, so how is that different from simply shaming ourselves into just, just deal with it? Because like, part, part of us could almost take that posture of if I compare myself to someone else, they have it so much worse than me. That doesn't really even necessarily give me permission to feel like this is hard. Well, and I think I wasn't comparing. Mm-hmm. I was saying it was 10 times harder for her. Okay. Um, when I look at what's going on with this pandemic right now, I know a lot of people are getting really irritated by it. But I'm like, okay, let's look at 40 years in the wilderness. Sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. compare that to right now. Yep. I am comparing. Um, and Frank in a small compartment for what, 762 days. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, how does she do that? Yeah. You know, um, and part of it is getting off of the negative and going to the positive and, and resourcing yourself to what are opportunities, you know, mm-hmm. that I can make this easier. Okay. Um, so, so almost shifting the focus away from woe is me. And, and part of that is okay. This is really hard and acknowledging that that's where we yeah. start. That's where all of the lamentations, like Psalm 13 is a great example. These Psalms of lament start with, God, where are you? Look at where I'm at. Yeah. But they don't stay there. And, right. and so what so I'm hearing you say, it. okay. Even with our kids, okay. state you're disappointed. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to have my prom, you know. That's, that's, that's a bummer. That's like an archetypal initiation totally. that we all go through and you're missing out on it. Yeah. And validate the disappointment, but don't let them camp out on there. Okay. Go to, okay, but what could we do instead? I mean, have a Zoom prom, or in my hometown, they actually had a pop-up prom. Okay. They showed up on my hometown street, and they did social distancing. They had cameras taking pictures. No one was in the picture except for you. Um, but they actually were in their dresses, and they had a mm-hmm. pop-up prom. Mm-hmm. You know so what? so they're, all, they're all kind of like dancing like this from <laughs> really saving room for the Holy Spirit there. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it cracked me up because one of my friends sent me a picture on Facebook. And I'm like, there's my hometown house in the background. What mm-hmm. happened here? Mm-hmm. And I thought, what a genius idea. Or yeah. the Air Force Academy. They actually did have a graduation. They, you know, there's, there's ways to actually do it. And mm-hmm. if, we get off, if we don't get off the disappointment, it won't give us the opportunity to be creative and see how can we rework this. And guess what? Those people 20, 30, 40 years from now will remember that prom even way more, you know, than the normal proms that you normally had. I think back to my wedding and all the things that didn't go the way we planned, those are the parts we smile about now and and hold dear because they were the the unvarnished reality of it. Um, And I I agree with you. Like I, I remember early on in this thing, this perspective shift, which is what I'm hearing you say, is we just sometimes need a perspective shift. Early on, somebody pointed out to me, you know, for us, we're going to look back on this 20 years from now and go, oh, that was so hard. We couldn't be together. It forced us all these things. Yeah, there was some good stuff, but it was so hard. And our kids are going to look back on it and go, I got to be with my parents. I got, they got to be my my teachers, like I got to learn so much more because I got so much more attention. Um, we played games together. I got to spend time with my dad. I didn't get to see. There's, in many ways, for many of our kids, this is going to be one of the fondest times of their life looking back on it. But we can't see that in the midst of it. All we can see is how uncomfortable this is and how quickly we want to get out of it. Yeah. So uh, I say validate the disappointment. Okay. Don't dismiss it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
tune in, especially with little kids. I'm always saying, get down on their level. I mean, I always think about the pictures of Jesus talking to the children. The paintings that I see, he's down on their level. Hmm. Um, you know, look into their eyes. Like, this is rough for you. Validate it. But guess what? God's put in you to bounce back after hardship. We all have that in us. Holy Spirit, what's going on? Come in right now. I need some comfort. Open yourselves up to it. He'll fill you up with it. Mm. You know, Lord, what's new here? What? There's a roadblock going on right here. Okay, so where do you want me to go? Sometimes he's directing us to a whole nother place. Um, I love how President Trump will say, like, we don't have any ventilators. The ventilator shops can't make enough. So let's go talk to a car factory to make them. It's like, wow, who would have thought of that in a million years, right? right? So we it's, have it's, that ability it's, too to it's think of. It's beautiful, some of the things that are coming out of yes. the woodwork of, of ways that people are thinking outside of the box. And in fact, that's one of the things that we really want to focus on next week as we wrap up this whole series is what are some of the beautiful things that have come out of the ashes of this season? And so, again, just be considering in your own life, where have you seen beauty from the ashes? And I would encourage you again to um, either write it down and email it to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com or uh, videotape yourself. Again, landscape, not portrait, landscape, videotape yourself and send it again to pastor mm -hmm. at lighthousecommunity.com because we want to share some of your stories mm -hmm. next week. Um, let, let's get back for just a moment to some of the older kids right now. Uh, you know what? Before we do that, before we talk about them, one of the things I just need to confess as a parent of younger kids, of adolescents, 8 and 11, both boys, is that I oftentimes think I know what they need, right? <laughs> so even just yesterday, my, my youngest was having a meltdown. I thought he needed a hug. So I went up and I wrapped my arms around him and he was so resistant that it actually made it worse yes. for him because he didn't want it. And I'm like, well, I did everything right. I, I, I didn't respond in anger. I responded with a hug. And this morning, my wife pointed out to me, yes, but you didn't invite him in. You forced it upon him. And I think in some ways, we might have the right perspective as parents. But if our kids aren't asking for that perspective, it's like throwing pearls to swine. Mm -hmm. We might know exactly what they need, and that moment is a hug. But if they're not wanting it, that can actually be disrespectful to their little personhood. And it teaches them, you're not in control, I am in control. And it actually makes them, pushes them from the very thing that they really need to yes. self-regulate. It's so hard being a parent. Yeah, it, it is. It is so hard. Okay, so. So part of that is attunement. You're what do you mean by attunement? You're checking in on what they need. So you have the idea of, I should give you a big hug. But you have to ask permission mm. of what's going on for you right now. Do, are you okay? Sometimes I, can you take a deep breath and like see if you can calm down? Can you even answer that question? If not, they might need just some space to let everything just calm down. And yeah. then just, and you might say, invite them like, gosh, I really would like to hug you right now. Would that help you? Mm. So you're asking permission and, then, and they'll go, no. I mean, I know if I'm, I'm in a fire rage, I don't want anybody touching me. Mm. I might punch you if you come near me. Totally. You know? so, so part of that is you calming down, looking in their eyes, what's going on for you? What do you need? Asking, asking permission, would this help you? Mm -hmm. And they'll say yes or no and say, okay, do you need some space right now? Mm -hmm. Let's do some space. So you're, you're asking what's going on. That's attunement. Um, 
and each kid's different, and each day's different. And if you've got females, when the hormones show in, uh, show up, it goes up and down, sideways, every which way for a long time. So, um, and then boys, when the testosterone shows up, oh, puberty! They've got warrior energy coming in. You know, um, mm-hmm. the best thing for my boys is when they're playing football. Got all that testosterone out on the field. They came home and went to bed. So you keep them at home on a video game, and all that raging's going on, and they don't have an outlet. It's going to be pretty mm. messy yeah trampolines help a lot too. get it I out know. <laughs> i know my boys would only go on it when i would go on it with them and i was lazy yeah so, so. <laughs> no more trampoline um okay so last question and i'm so grateful that you've been with us yeah. uh, i'm so grateful for your insight y- you've got a bunch of parents who are walking through their own season of confusion and they're walking with kids who are experiencing it in some cases for the very first time they're experiencing that discombobulation of this season where the things that they have taken as a right are no longer available to them kids who expected a high school graduation that it's going to look very different for them kids that expected that on their 16th birthday they'd be getting their licenses kids who are used to being able to go play with their friends who don't get to what would you want to say to parents who are walking with their kids in this season through this as one who has walked with your kids into yeah. adulthood? Um, I'd say the biggest thing is to teach them that expectations are just expectations. They're not a reality. Um, when you, your expectation gets dashed, that's a hoped dashed, then it's not like grief where it's something that you actually had and it's lost. Okay. Uh, a lot of seniors from high school go into college with grief, actually, because they had a family system, they had a friend system, they had a bed that was theirs, and all that is lost. Okay. Um, not having a prom, you didn't, maybe you had the junior prom, so you're going to mm-hmm. be losing that, but uh, safe graduation, you never really had a high school graduation, you didn't lose it yet. You have an expectation. So expectations can be shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, losses have to be grieved. So there's, there's two dynamics going on there. Um, well, so, so some of these kids, though, all of them have lost the ongoing relationship with their friends in school and that dynamic. They're used to something. That has been taken from them. They're experiencing something different right now. It certainly kind of go- cuts against the grain of what they expected. Right. There were, there were expectations of what prom would look like, what graduation would look like, what, what their 16th birthday would look like, what any of their birthdays right now would look like. Those expectations have been removed from them. And as those emotions are bubbling up for them and they're acting out in some ugly ways and our, us as parents are beating ourselves up because we haven't been able to protect our, love, our, our little ones from this and we can't fix it for them. There's probably, I'm experiencing a little bit of disappointment and, and, and grief myself for what my boys are experiencing right now. Right. So the two keys are adaptability and resilience. Okay. Um, we live in a fallen world. We, are, we have in our mind, here's our timeline, that these things are going to happen. That doesn't, really, that doesn't really ring true. Um, I have six kids. I had one struggling with addictions. We might be burying that guy. He's, he's sober now, and he's doing great now, but mm. there's no guarantee. Yeah. Um, my fantasy is that they're all going to be burying me. 
but I know plenty of people that that's not true for. Yeah. So that's where, that's our expectation. That's our fantasy for our future. You know, it helps us that anytime we see a movie where expectations are dashed, that we ground our kids in life on earth is God's thing. We're here with our gifts, talents, and strengths to do what he wants us to do. And he might interrupt our timeline of how that's supposed to look to do some work in us mm. so that he can use us in the future. So when things don't go the way that we want, yes, let's, let's show our disappointment, mm -hmm. but let's not camp out on it. Okay. Let's not go into negativity and negative thinking. Let's get off of it, shift, mm -hmm. and then see what God's teaching us. You know, it might be compassion. I mean, look at all the food banks that need help right now. You know, I could take some of these people that have a Newport Beach, you know, easy life, put them in a food bank situation. Mm -hmm. They totally turn. Yeah. And, and God might be up to doing, let's go work at a food bank right now. I, I, it, this season has been hard as a parent with two young boys in my house. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up again. But it's been really hard because it's exhausting and we never get a break. They're always there. Um, it's been very difficult to, to balance being a pastor with responsibilities that lie outside of the home with being a parent with responsibilities that lie inside of the home and, and the emotions that are coming up. And yet that perspective shift for me is a gratitude mm -hmm. that in this season I get to walk through my boys, with my boys, through something that's really, really difficult. With a, a wife that see, sees things very differently and has different strengths, she's far more patient and compassionate than I am. But together, we get to walk with our boys through this really difficult thing, modeling for them how we deal with it. We don't do it perfectly. And Ethan and Grace, and I'm really sorry for the ways that I've modeled in, imperfectly in this. And but you're also, learning. And I'm learning. And I'm in process. <laughs> and I'm really grateful for the, the, the ways that we get to train our children up right now. Because I, I believe that when they're older, this season will be foundational to their character as men. And so I'm grateful for it, as hard as it is. And so, Annie, would you, um, would you pray for us? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Father, we just um, love what you're up to, mm -hmm. even if it's difficult and hard. Um, your ways are higher than ours. And lots of times we just have to stop and just tune into what you're up to and go again and go with what you're up to. Um, I just pray, Lord, for all of us that we catch ourselves not being like your son. Help us to catch ourselves and stop those negative patterns and to go again and to start exhibiting the characteristics of Christ through all this turmoil so that we can shine a light not only to our kids and our spouses and our friends, but to those people in the grocery store or those people um, needing some money when my car pulls up to a stop sign. And it's like, you know what? This lady needs some help here. Um, let's be, you know, considerate of her. Let's be generous with her. Um, I know, Lord, you're putting those opportunities in our path, but sometimes we get into that funk of whining and complaining so much that we don't see what you're up to. And I just ask, Lord, that we learn to put down the negative and put up the positive and be a force in this world during this time of shining your light um, in great big ways that are make a big difference. I... I thank you for pain, Lord. I thank you for discomfort because it wakes us up and gets us back on target. Um, I thank you, Lord, that you're resetting us, that we go, we're getting complacent in technology and 
you know, maybe too much work and less being with the family, and all of a sudden you're letting us reset. I think it's an amazing, beautiful thing. And even though pain is difficult, it can also be glorious when you walk through it with um, your majesty on our side. And I just pray, Lord, that you bring those opportunities of awareness of your Holy Spirit, the angels all around us. Um, Jesus can carry us when we're having a bad day and that you're with us through all this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Annie, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Let's worship together.
love those words and that reminder that we are children of God. And I was thinking as, as we were worshiping through that, that God in Scripture has both, you know, feminine as well as masculine traits. There's this aspect of God that longs to gather us together like a mother hen over his chicks. And in the midst of that, it reminds me that God doesn't protect us from pain. If anything, he warns us that we're going to go through it. He allows us to go through it and he walks through it with us. And as we look at our own experience as parents, as we are walking with our own kids through pain, I simply want to remind us that it is not our job to protect them, to shield them from pain. Rather, it's our role to walk with them through it, to be with them in the midst of it. And it's the pain itself that helps them to grow, and it's the pain and the messiness of life that helps us to grow. So mothers, we love you. We're so grateful for you. We're so thankful for the ways that you give of yourself, even when you don't have anything left to give. We're thankful for the tireless 
mornings that you wake up long before you'd like to get out of bed. We're grateful for the ways that you bring compassion and nurturing. Moms, I know that there are some of you out there that are hurting right now, that are missing your children, whether because you're physically separated because of this virus or you've lost them. We grieve with you. And for those of you who long to be moms and haven't, know that we love you and we are praying with you. And I am so thankful for those of you who are single moms, who are raising kids. Sarah, I think of you this first year as as a mom. And I just, I am so grateful we get to do life together in community. Brenda, so grateful for the ways that we get to do life together and hold one another up because at the end of the day, We are raising our children together in community. And that's one of the most beautiful aspects of this. So thank you for being community with us. Moms, Robin, Jeannie, Diane, Mama Lynn, Cindy, my own blood mother. I mean, I have so many moms and there's so many others. Thank you for the ways that you are helping to hold us up and nurture us. And so, Father God, would you be glorified through the way your family works together, for the ways that we get to hold one another up as we journey through pain together. Father, we thank you that you walk with us in the midst of it, that you hold us up, that you are nurturing to us, that you wrap your arms around us through your Holy Spirit, that you defend us from the attacks of the enemy. Would you glorify yourself in and through us as you shape us into the men and women that reflect your heart back to a hurting world? Thank you that we get to be light in the darkness. Help yourself to our lives, we pray, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Have a wonderful day. We love you.